This year is brought to you by TorahWeb.org. Thank you very much, Rabbi Rothwax. Um, all I heard was that I'm relatively young, so I'm very excited about that. You know, the title that was chosen, I don't know if it was Orthodox and Single or Single and Orthodox, but I can assure you, how we, whatever order it was in was chosen very carefully. It was, uh, that title was chosen to be as nondescript and pariv a title as you can have for such a complex and multifaceted issue. Because in our conversations, when I was talking to Judah about the topic, the other suggestions that were made for a title, every suggestion we, we put out there seemed to be either uh, preachy or patronizing or judgmental. And you can imagine if it's difficult to come up with a title that, does, that, that isn't hurtful in some way, it's all the more difficult to make a 35-minute presentation on a topic in, uh, that's so sensitive in a way that's not hurtful, that doesn't violate Onas Dvarin. Some, some would even suggest uh, maybe uh, just downplay the importance of uh, marriage when you talk about navigating single life as a way of making people feel uh, bishalom with, uh, with where they are. But that, that would quite frankly be dishonest and a ziyuf ha-Torah, really. Uh, but yet the topic is an important one and hopefully we can suggest ideas that will be helpful for both those who are married and single. I got a few texts today People saying, I, I, I'm, I'm Orthodox, but I'm not single. Um, is it okay if I come? Am I, am I still allowed to come? And uh, the answer is yes. Uh, hopefully we'll say things that are meaningful for everybody. Um, so what I do, whenever I'm a little lost about what to speak about, particularly in matters outside of Halach and Lamdus, I turned to uh, my chaverim for Eitzah uh, and uh, presented with the title of Orthodox and single, or single and orthodox. So the first question they ask is, who's the audience? Is it singles? Is it married people? Parents of singles? I said, I have no idea. It's whoever shows up. So uh, the, the suggestions, I got three basic suggestions. One suggestion was, and I'm, I'm quoting, these are the, these are what my, my friends told me. One is, I would focus on the importance of creating a life for yourself and that you could have a meaningful existence, even if you are single, making a life for yourself outside of marriage. Very nice uh, suggestion. A second suggestion. I also think that it's important to remind people that being single in an Orthodox community is lonely. Singles go home to empty homes. And whenever you can include them in anything, Shabbos, Yom Tovim, random weeknight dinners, it makes them feel part of the community. Many times they become like aunts and uncles to their friends' children. I also believe constant conversation about them being single does not help. It's amazing how many people do that. And then a third suggestion, along the same lines, I think it's important to carve out time for friends who are single by getting together without your spouse and kids. I think the time together without your family is also important for them. Also, a lovely, lovely suggestion. But as you can see, the exact topic to discuss and the exact Eitzah to give really depends largely on the audience. Should this be Eitzah to people who are not are not yet married, or should it be Eitzah to people who are married and how to relate to those who are not yet married? So I thought that maybe a way to universalize the message is to examine a very famous Pasuk in Chumash about the value of marriage, and maybe use that as a springboard to uh, guide us in how to become an Adam Shalem, whether you're married or not. Uh, meaning that there are certain values and certain uh, certain ideals that can be accomplished 
through marriage, then maybe some of them can partially be accomplished even outside of marriage. And, and, and if we examine what the Torah Kedoshah tells us about marriage, maybe that's a, a healthy way to look at how one can become what the Torah wants a person to become, what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants a person to become, an Adam Shalem. And the, the Pasuk in the second account of creation of man tells us, Vayomer Hashem Elokim, Lo Tov Hayosa Adam Levado, Eselo Ezer Kinegdo. And the Nitziv points out that Hashem is not just teaching us that humankind also requires a female. That you know how every other animal requires male and female in order to, uh, to keep the min going? Well, humankind is the same. So the Nitziv says that can't be what HaKadosh Baruch is saying over here. It's obvious. Humans shouldn't be any less than any other creature where the female that sustains the species comes from the same species. Obviously, it wasn't going to be some other creature that was going to mate with man. So what is HaKadosh Baruch Hu saying? Says the Nitziv, Ela lo tov lo nekeva that the man-woman relationship in, 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 from a Torah perspective is different than a male-female relationship in the animal kingdom. Because in the animal kingdom, it's not an azer, it's not a helpmate in all areas of life. There's a physical relationship that produces offspring in the animal world. But that's not a good way for man to live. It's not a good way for human beings to have a meaningful existence, for human beings to have a meaningful uh, relationship between male and female. It has to be an ongoing relationship in many realms, in many areas outside of the physical realm. So the Nitziv is teaching a very important yesod, that human beings require the assistance of others in order to maximize our own potential. Uh, I think that if we examine and try to pinpoint what the Torah had in mind when it says that we need an Ezer Kinegdo, it can help us direct our goals, and I think in two important ways. First of all, for those who are not married to think about whether there are other ways to achieve some of those goals that an Ezer Kinegdo is meant to achieve even before we get married. Certainly, obviously, the reproductive element of marriage cannot be done on our own. That's a, a biological reality. But maybe, maybe these elements which separate us from other species can be at least partially achieved outside of marriage if we're mindful of what exactly they are. And second, for married people to consider whether we are really accomplishing the goals of marriage. And, and if, we, if we're not living a marriage that accomplishes those goals, to consider potential adjustments and how to make it better that will allow us to accomplish the goals that the Torah intended us to accomplish through our marriages. So the first concept, I want to share three ideas, time permitting. The first concept of Lo Tov is that the Gemara at the end of Masachas Makos gives us certain klalim, Ideas within Judaism that are sort of an entranceway to the rest of Yiddishkeit. Certain yesodos, foundational ideas, that through those foundational ideas you can build up or you can, uh, you can gain an appreciation of the rest of Yiddishkeit. It's sort of a Pesach to what, uh, to what a Jew is supposed to, how a Jew is supposed to live, live his or her life. 
So of course, the, the, probably the most famous line in that Gemara at the very end of Makos is the Gemara that tells us, you know, it spoke, speaks about how various uh, historical figures, various Nevi'im came and whittled down the core message of Yiddishkeit in just a, a phrase or two or three. And, and probably the most famous line in that Gemara is, Habakuk That Habakuk came and he, he, was, he managed to narrow down the core message of the Torah in one phrase, Shenemar v'tzadik yichya. A, a sense of emuna. And, and right there, you can go a, a segue into so many drushas you've probably heard in your life about the value of emuna, the importance of emuna, and they're all true. The power of emuna is so clear to us, it's so strong. A person who lives a life with the Rebona Shalom by his side, a person who lives a life of genuine emuna, certainly, certainly, is going to open up many, many doorways in Avoda, in Avoda Hashem, in so many areas. But Chabakuk wasn't the only one. There are other sha'arim, there are other foundational ideas that are mentioned in that Gemara. And I want to focus on one of them. Micha came and said, we can narrow it down to three core principles. If you want to know what is good, and you want to know what Hashem is doresh from you, then you have to keep in mind asos mishpat, which is fascinating, asos mishpat, to do mishpat, we just read Parsha's mishpatim yesterday, avas chesed, and atzneh aleches Hashem elokecha. So if you, you look at that pasuk and those phrases, you know, it almost gives the sense of like, the, it's the kind of pasuk that, I heard Ramosha Weinberger say that, that, that he, he grew up in Queens and on 188th Street, around the corner from the house that he grew up in, that was the Pasuk on the Reform Temple. Meaning like, it sounds like the kind of Pasuk that, you know, I, I love justice and humility so long as I get to define what justice is and what humility is. You know, as long as everyone gets to, it's, it's nondescript enough. Like, it's not going to say, like, you know, put on tefillin, right? Meaning it's not going to say, keep Shabbos. It's, it's somewhat of a nondescript kind of pasuk. Justice and modesty, you can appreciate it, but Micha, of course, didn't mean that. When he says, asos mishpat, he means all the things we read yesterday. He means, parshas mishpatim. But, but why is that an entranceway into a full life of Torah? And, and not only that, he says, Let me tell you what is tov. Let me tell you what goodness is. Hashem's telling us what is really genuinely good. Are, are these really the only three things that are genuinely good? I don't know, isn't Shabbos good? Isn't marriage good? Why is this the definition of tov? And, and also, when Micha says, Ma Hashem Dorish Mimcha, now that sounds like a familiar question, because the Torah Kedosh itself asks a very similar question, Ma Hashem Sho'el Mimcha, what does the Kodesh Baruch Hu ask from you? But in Chumash, it gives a much firmer answer, right? It's Kiyim Liyira, a person has to have a sense of Yira Shemayim. So what exactly is going on here, that now it becomes this, uh, a, a different approach? So, I heard from Ramosh Weinberger the following idea. He quoted the Darchi Noam, the Karin Slanim Rebbe. Uh, who answers these questions based on the Yisod. And it's classic Slanim Torah in the sense that it's very Pashut, very straightforward, no, no great Chiddush, but something that's, uh, that's important to keep in mind. The Torah has a, an incredible ability to change a person. 
Paskin Parsha Zinu tells us, Yarov Kamata Lichi Tezel Katalim Rasi Kisiirim Ale Desho Kirvivim Ale Esev. That my teachings will drip like rain, my words will fall like dew, like storm winds on vegetation. And, and, and here's the key phrase uh, as far as we're concerned tonight, Ukirvivim Ale Esev. Like delicate raindrops, Kirvivim on grass. And Rashi writes, what does that mean, Kirvivim Ale Esav? Why is the Torah like delicate raindrops on grass? Says Rashi, Kirvivim Ale Esav, Maravivim Halalu, Yordim Ala Savim. Just like those delicate raindrops fall on the grass, Umaadnimosam, Umifankimosam, it refines them, it polishes them, it makes them more, more sweet and more appealing. Kach divrei Torah, ma'adnim umefankim eslom Divrei Torah have that same ability to impact a human being. That divrei Torah is kirivivim alei esav, alei esav. It gives us a certain sparkle, a certain grace, a certain refinement, a certain gentleness. You know, like in nice supermarkets, they have those spritzy things in the produce aisle. Like, why do they have that? You don't know what, uh, you know, uh, what, uh, I'll, I'll tell you why they have it. I walked down that produce aisle. I never in my entire life had a Yetzirah to buy thyme, T-H-Y-M-E. I don't even know how to pronounce it. Like, I call my wife. I was like, do you need thyme? What's thyme? It's called, I, 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 but when you see it sparkly with the, with the little water on it, it looks so appealing. Like, all of a sudden, I want to buy a radish. A radish? Why would I want a radish? But it looks so appealing when there's some sprinkle in there's a little bit of water on it that spritz. That's the Kirvivim Aliyasev. It makes everything look so much more attractive. And Chazal is telling us, Chazal tells us that the, uh, in Medjish Rabbah and Breshish Rabbah, that the goal of, of, of Torah is to make us more refined. The goal of mitzvot is to refine us. Imra Sashem Tsurufa, the Medjish Rabbah says, Lo nitnu ha mitzvos, sabrios, to make us more refined. You know, the, the, the term Rashi uses is like almost like a, a shocking word. He says it, that it makes us mifunak. What is a mifunak? So we think of it as like a type of OCD, right? That a person is a mifunak. But that's not what Rashi means. What Rashi means is that a person should always have a more profound and deep awareness of the people around him. And the Slonimer explains that Hashem created, you know, in so many areas, uh, Hashem created us so different than other people. And so much of our avoda is to just be more focused and aware of the people around us and of their experiences. You know, t- t- take for example, a marriage, a man and a woman. You could not have two more different beings on this earth in terms of their, 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 their way about them, about how they deal with problems, about how they deal with stress, about how they deal with everything than a man and a woman. And as if HaKadosh Baruch Hu is running some sort of cruel social experiment, he says, let's put these two together and make them live in the same house for the rest of their lives. And let's see how that, how that works out. And the entire process, you get the impression that the entire process is meant to give us a certain awareness of others. And especially when you add to that, that every family has its own culture. You know, uh, I, 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 I'll give an example. It may sound a little crass, but it's Rav Weinberger's example. The, the, a girl may have come from a very proper home. Pinky's up, you know, the housekeeper wears a uniform and she wheels in a cart with the, with the, with the food. Where everybody knows which, which of the three forks to use for, uh, for which course. And the guy might come from a less formal house. Maybe he had a lot of brothers and no sisters. 
where at the end of the meal, someone in the family unbuckles their belt, leans back, lets out a grept, and everyone says, Shkoyach! And that's the mom, right? <laughs> I would never give such a crass example. That would be crazy. Uh, certainly not in front of Rabbi Tversky. It was Rabbi Weinberg that gave, gave such an example. But, but the, the idea that people can come from such different, such different places... And, and yet, we somehow try to figure out how to make it work together. The concept of mafunak is that invariably, when we're with people who are different from us, without proper work on our midos, there are going to be lots of things that annoy us. Similarly, there will be things that don't bother us, but bother other people, but the, about us. But the Torah has a way that if you want to make it, that, that if you want it, it to make you into somebody who is so refined that you can appreciate the differences, and you could enjoy and appreciate the idiosyncrasies of other people, the Torah can do that to you. To be a mufunak means a much deeper awareness of the people around us. It means that maybe if we're hanging out with an unmarried person in their 30s or 40s, we're not spending the entire conversation talking about our spouse and our families. It means that we may be socializing with a couple that hasn't yet been blessed with children, and we don't spend the entire time complaining about how tired we are because the baby kept us up all night. It means that when somebody goes through something, we don't see it as something to hawk about, to try to find out more information about, but we appreciate that there must be a challenge that they're going through, and we respect their privacy as we quietly daven that everything should be okay. To be a mufunak means that if a person finishes his shmonasrei in shul after two minutes and realizes that he's going to have to sit around bored for the next three or four minutes before they start chazar sashat, and then he'll be bored for another five minutes, it, it, it means that during that time he's not going to strike up a conversation to perhaps interrupt somebody else who actually is having a conversation with the Rebbeinu Shalom. It means an awareness of the people around us. So comes Micha and he tells us, let me tell you matov. I will define goodness for you. It is the ability to be mindful of others. It is the entire parsha we read yesterday. A, a sense of being kind to others, of not harming other people. And Hashem says in Bereshis, Lo tov heyos ha'adam levado. When man is alone, he is not likely to achieve that sense of tov. He, having that Ezer Konegdo, somebody who's very different from him, who he relies upon, will be helpful for him to achieve that tov. But when we look at it from this perspective, we see that it's not really about marriage per se. That might be the shortest and easiest path toward achieving that sense of tov. But it's really about being tov. It is about kirivivim ali esev. It's about having that special glean and that special sparkle because of our concern for and our understanding of other people. A married person who doesn't experience that tov might be fully halachically married and may be able to reproduce just as any other min can, but it's not fulfilling the mission of eselo ezer kenegdo. And conversely, an unmarried person who is super sensitive to the needs of others may not currently be reproducing and populating the world and certainly hopes to be able to do that one day, but in a very real sense is accomplishing a certain sense of tov, that goodness that Kodesh Baruch Hu envisioned for humanity. A second idea relating to low tov. Rav Lapiansky Shlita in his wonderful English sefer, Time Pieces, explains that there's another element of lo tov heyos adam levado. Rav Lapiansky quotes from Chaim Shmulevitz, who said 
that Judaism's social grading system, meaning how chashuv you are in the, in the Jewish community, is based on the measure of a chrayus assumed by the person being graded. Meaning to say, whoever has more achrayus for others is considered to be like in the upper echelons of society. While someone who has less achrayus for others is considered to be in the lower parts of society. The highest level is a melech. A melech is responsible for the entire country. Yehuda demonstrates his qualifications for being a melech, for Jewish royalty, by expressing his sense of achrayus for his brother, Binyamin, to his father. Anochi arvenu, miyadi tevakshenu. I'll guarantee him. You could seek him from my hand. I'm stepping up and taking Achrayus. Boaz reflects that same quality when he assumes responsibility for a distant relative, for Rus. And, and therefore he merited to be the progenitor of royalty for all time to come in Klal Yisrael, beginning with his great-grandson, with David HaMelech. Because the essence of royalty is taking a sense of Achrayus, is having a sense of Achrayus, taking responsibility for the Klal. And if, you, if, if you're ever asked to speak at a Shavar Brachos, you can now say a nice word. Chasan Dome Lamelech. Why is he Dome Lamelech? Because his, his sphere of Achrayus has expanded. Not, not sphere of influence, sphere of Achrayus has expanded. He now has to take Achrayus for somebody else. And in that sense, he's one step closer to being a Melech. On the flip side, you have a Shota which people translate as an idiot or something like that, but that's not really at all what it means. A hediot is an idiot. That's the, even the etymology of the word Marina of Shechter often points out. Shulchan Aruch in Simen Aleph clearly defines a shota based on the Gemara. It's somebody who has no accountability for his actions. Not only does he not have a Christ for other people, he has no Christ for himself. Vishota Dahainu says Shulkarakshu Yotse Yechidi Belaila, Omikare Aksuso, Olanbebesakvaros. He just does these crazy things. And, and he has no sense of responsibility for anything. He's sleeping in the Besakvaros, he's tearing his clothing. Oma Avid Mashinosimlo, he destroys whatever you give him. If he does any of those things and there's no uh, logical reason for it, that's a shota, because he has so little achrayos, and that's the lowest rung. On, on, on the, the, the hierarchy of Klal Yisrael. So Vlapiansky points out that every character trait that a person has reflects a corresponding trait of the Ribbon Shalom. The only aspect of human nature that is totally original to man without any counterpart in the spiritual realm is the desire to receive. A man is born a complete receiver, getting everything and giving nothing in return when, when we're infants. And his life purpose is to become more and more of a giver without taking any benefit for himself. Before Rabbi Yudah Nasi dies, the Gemara Ksubistav Kuvdala tells us, Zakaf Eser Tzba'osav Klape Mala. He holds his ten fingers up in the air and he declares, Lo afilu He didn't benefit at all from this world. The hands are the instruments that take, but they're also the instruments that give. And Rebbe testified about himself at the end that he had become a giver. So when you talk to young people about the goal of getting married, so often, sadly, they talk in secular terms, about falling in love as if it's something that happens to you and not something that you build, and thus the possibility of falling out of love. Or they think of much firmer fantasies. They know how to uh, uh, repeat what they've heard, 
a, a young aspiring kolal guy may envision that on, on the other side of his chuppah there's going to be, going to be a time where he's going to have an Ashes Chayil who will work all day to support him at his, uh, at his scholarly pursuits and then at the end of the day he's going to come home and his Ashes Chayil will welcome him with a bright smile and a hot dinner and then she'll scamper off to do the laundry and the dishes. And he may imagine himself with a flock of angelic children, faces glistening in the glow of candles, singing sweet Zemiros deep into Friday night. You know, if he's never met actual children, like he might have uh, you know, such, a, such, such a vision. On the flip side, you ask the aspiring Kala, which she views marriage as, and she can't even get there. First she has to describe the wedding, before she can describe what marriage is going to be where she's dressed like a princess and has a bridal assistant making sure that not a single hair is out of place. And then she's going to have this doting husband who's going to treat her like a queen and support her very nicely while inspiring an atmosphere of Torah near Shemayim constantly. And Valpiansky explains that the harm in these dreams is that they are all self-serving. To build a person's concept of marriage by relegating the man or the woman to a role of some level of subservience is to misunderstand the entire essence of the relationship. The Gemara in Sanhedrin, Daphne Test, tells us that the Malachim provided Adam HaRishon with his physical necessities. The Malachim were broiling meat and feeding it to him. So yeah, sometimes when you get married, uh, one spouse will cook for the other. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu could have given us Malachim to do that. One of my Talmidim actually said to me this week, I, he just got married not that long ago. I said, how's everything going? He says, it's great. I have dinner every night. It saves me so much time. But that's not, that's not the definition of marriage. Right? That's not the idea. The purpose was to give a person a sense of a chryos. One of the most recognizable parts of a Jewish marriage ceremony is when we read the ksuba, even though it's one of the least important parts of the ceremony. But the ksuba is an important part of the ceremony. The reading of the ksuba is not as more. It's not a romantic document. You know, it details the financial obligations that the husband has toward his wife. If you look for all sorts of flowery pledges of mutual love, you'll be disappointed unless you buy one of those that have the English on the other side, where the English is not at all a translation of the uh, Aramaic, and then it's, but, uh, but normally in an actual ksuba. So what makes a ksuba so special is that it says, eflach, ve'ezon, ve'afarnes. I'm going to take a chryas for you. So the second message is that regardless of a person's marital status, part of eselo ezer kenegdo, which can be achieved by anybody, is to develop a sense of achrayus. Because the more achrayus one has, the more chashivus the person has. Ravalbi and Ali Shur, in Chelek Aleph, Pedresh Ayin Zayin writes, Derech ben ha'aliyahi. The way of a ben ha'aliyah, of someone who's living an elevated life and is constantly on that, that up escalator. Nisala ish bebeso. Nisala bechatzero. Nisala biiro. He starts out by elevating himself within his, house, within his home, and then within his chatzar, and then within the whole city. Within the Jewish people. And it all comes from within. And each new circumstance provides him with a new challenge. And he, and, and he takes on that challenge and does the avoda as well as he can till he elevates to the next level. 
And then he sees a broader challenge. And he, he fills that challenge until he's elevated to the next point. Until he becomes a person of the Klal, a person of the community, of the nation, of Klal Yisrael. Who, who, who is as important as the whole rest of Klal Yisrael, because everyone depends on him. Rav Albi goes on to quote the Gemara and Shabbos, which says that, if a person has the ability to prevent someone in his family from violating an Avera, and he fails to do that, he, he, he gets punished for the Averos that those around him, those Averos that he could have prevented that get done. If his sphere of influence is greater and he could have impacted the city and he didn't, then he's blamed for that. And Rashi gives an example of somebody who's nitfas al kuli alma. Rashi writes, Kigon melech vinasi, The example he gives is a melech. Ravaldi elaborates that, that, that this is not part of the mitzvah of Tochiach. It's part of the principle of kol Yisrael Arevim And there's a direct correlation between the level of responsibility that a person takes for the tzibur and the person's chashivas. So an important Jew is not one who's free to run around and go where he wants and when he wants. You know, a lot of the advice that we often hear for people who are not yet married, you know, make your own life. D- don't define yourself by marriage. But, but what does that mean to make your own life? What does that mean? So how should you define yourself? So the next place that people often go is, be free like a bird. Go travel, travel the world. See new places. And those are all wonderful things to do. But that's not going to give that, uh, a person a sense of tov. That's not going to give a person ultimately a sense of feeling accomplished, a sense of feeling like they are a chashuv, like they're not a second-class citizen. Oh, because I saw every continent, because I saw, you know, uh, I, 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 I got to visit places that you could only dream of visiting. That doesn't make them feel any more chashuv. It doesn't make anybody feel any more chashuv. An important Jew is a person who routinely does tomche Shabbos runs, or is certain to make sure that his shul has a minion, or the people in need of care are cared for. A person doesn't have to be married to be chashuv. It just helps. It helps in building that sense of chashivas because it helps in building a sense of achrayus. I have a very close childhood friend who has not yet gotten married. And he's an adam chashuv by every measure. By every measure. When it came COVID... He was calling up every rabbi friend that he knew. Give me a list of families who are struggling, who need food for, for Shabbos, for Pesach. And he sent a driver around, dropping off food. In these, in, I, all I sent, a list of addresses. And they're all calling me to say thank you. Oh, thank you, rabbi, so much. I didn't do anything. Uh, hand it off your address to somebody. An Adam Chashuv is a person who feels a sense of achrayus for other people. And the third idea, and this one's a little shorter. I'm certainly not going to go into Rav Tversky's time. Just one more idea. I'll be you know, a bit short. I once heard from Rabbi Prero in Chicago at the Sheva Brachos of his daughter and son-in-law an explanation of Ezer Kedegdo that he had heard from Rav Aaron Lichtenstein's Zuchar Chazal comment that Zacha Ezer 
lo zacha kenegdo, which we typically translate to mean that when a person merits, then their spouse will be helpful to them. But if they don't merit, then their spouse will oppose them. And Rav Lichtenstein Zetzal explained that the term zacha can also mean to be correct, to be right. A person is zacha bedin. It doesn't mean that he had some gewaldika zechus because he put on tefillin and davened really nicely that morning and that's why the din Torah came out in his favor. The din Torah came out in his favor because he was right, because he was correct. And one of the keys to success in life, and an ingredient that man is often missing when on his own, is that zacha ezer, to have somebody who will encourage us when we're doing the right things. And lo zacha kenegdo, someone, to have people in our lives who will oppose us when we're lo zacha, when we're doing the wrong things, when we're making self-destructive decisions or decisions that are destructive to other people. And that, that too is true of everybody, regardless of marital status. For somebody to achieve a madrega that human beings are meant to achieve, it's important to have the right kinds of relationships with people. We can't be surrounded by people who are constantly walking on eggshells around us and afraid to criticize us when we do something wrong. We need friends who truly love us and want us to do what's best for our own development, what's best for our avodas Hashem. So we started by saying that when talking about orthodox and single, people often think about it from two perspectives. First, that people who are not married shouldn't define themselves by their marital status. And second, that people who are married should make sure to engage with their unmarried friends and community members consistently and appropriately and sensitively. What we tried to demonstrate tonight is that it's all part of the same picture. Regardless of married status, we're all tasked with achieving a sense of tov coming as close to the goals that Hashem had in mind with Ezer Kenegdo as we can. And again, there's no denying that the context within which it was originally said is to find an actual Ezer Kenegdo. But there are certain goals that are, that are meant to be achieved through that relationship. And those goals do not have to be 100% tied to the finding of the Ezer Kenegdo. So it involves, we suggested three ideas. First, feeling for and connecting with people who are different from us, by just having a deeper sense of connectedness to other people. Second, taking a chryas for those around us, and slowly building up over time a greater and greater sense of a chryas, and thereby building our own chashivas. And finally, making sure that we have people in our lives who are zacha ezer, will encourage the good things that we do, and lo zacha kenegdo will discourage those activities that ought to be discouraged. And in those three ways, we can all achieve the great maila that HaKadosh Baruch Hu envisioned for all of us at the time of creation, both within the context of marriage, which certainly is ideal, and even outside of the context of marriage, as a person develops as an Ovid Hashem, and as someone who's a more Adam Shalim. Have a good evening, everyone.